are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another Locked On NBA. It is Monday. It is almost time to wrap up the finals because we had an awesome game five on Saturday. The Bucks pull it out in Phoenix. We also saw Damian Lillard making headlines last Friday. The Wizards hired a new coach this weekend. We'll get through all of that on today's episode of Locked on NBA. But the story of the weekend is always the games, the finals going on. We saw game five in Phoenix. And finally, what's the saying? A series doesn't start until our road team wins a game. Well, the series in the finals has officially started because the Bucks get the first road win of the series in Phoenix. It was a masterful performance from them. It was the first ever game in the footprint center. Devin Booker was spectacular, but the Bucks had many spectacular performers here to break it down. Host of Lockdown Suns, Brendan Clean here with me. Brendan, it was an excellent performance. The Suns jumped out early. They were up nearly 20 in the first half, but couldn't hold on to this one. What were your initial reactions to this game and, and how it ended up shaking out? Well, you're, you're right. It was an awesome game that felt miserable to anybody rooting for the Suns. Um, you know, a 16-point lead, as you said, a first quarter where it felt like the Suns could not miss. They scored 37 points. Devin Booker with 12 of those. And we've seen that movie a lot of times in this playoffs where the Suns just jump on teams when they need to win, especially at home. Um, But even on the road, game six of the Western Conference Finals, a perfect example. They lose that game five. They come out in game six and look like a team on a mission. And that's what it felt like was going to happen. And then in that second quarter, Devin Booker hits the bench the Bucks go on a run. Pat Connaughton, Drew Holiday hitting shots. The Suns with some pretty poor shot selection compounded by bad transition defense. The Bucks get into it, and then they look like that team on a mission, and they're able to close it out with some, some crazy possessions late that I'm sure we'll get to. But, uh, yeah, an, another classic finals game. This, this series has been awesome, but a pretty disappointing loss on your home floor for the Suns. Yeah, the Bookerless minute certainly a story of this game that I want to cover because he was excellent. The Suns were excellent when he was in the game, but where I start, and this is just general and broad observations looking at raw scores, but you just brought it up in the transition defense, is the Suns' defense was, this is the worst defensive game they've had at home in, a, in a, maybe the whole playoffs in a very long time, right? They they got the first two wins in Phoenix this series, giving up 105 and 108, and then even game four that they almost had right at the end, they only gave up 109. To give up 123 in this one, we saw good scoring performances from all of the Bucks' big three, but also Pat Connaughton left open on a bunch of threes. Bobby Portis, same story. So it feels like the Suns' defense has... They just not been as connected recently. I don't know if you're feeling the same way. Or do you feel like the Bucks have found ways to beat them and they're just struggling to keep up? It's it's one of those things where kind of two things are true. I think the defense had some some weak points, some slippage. I also think that the biggest story of this game to me on the Bucks side is that they were just hitting miracle shots. Yes, like they were. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis all hitting mid-range jumpers that, frankly, I mean, Middleton, is it's it's his game. and But even then, those are low-percentage shots, and especially Giannis and Drew are not players who tend to make them, and they were. So a game where Giannis makes 4 of 11 free throws, the Suns actually outscore the Bucks in the paint and win the turnover battle, the Suns do, and yet still lose is... You know, it paints the story of a pretty solid defensive game that 
was overcome by ridiculous shot making. You have to give credit to the Bucks shooters off the bench. I think to me, a lot of what it is when you talk about the the possessions where the Suns defense does look bad. I think DeAndre Ayton had one of his worst games of the postseason, but I also think they're just having a lot of trouble with Giannis being a better passer than I think he's ever been before. And, you know, you people talk about the wall, that 2019 uh, Eastern Conference Finals against the Raptors, all these different moments for them. Um, but really, to me, it's Giannis is able to pass the ball and be a playmaker at a higher level in the half court and in transition than I think he he's ever been in a big series before. So they just are having a hard time, as you would expect, dealing with him going downhill with the ability to also toss out to shooters who are making shots. It's a really hard recipe to crack. Yeah, he's been excellent in more of a deferring off-ball role when he has to. Basically, since his back-to-back 40-point games, he's done that both in Game 4 and Game 5 since then. And when he's off the ball, that allows him to be a screener, right? And that's when he's really dangerous, when the Bucks are really dangerous. And then, you know, that they're really focused on him in the lane. Like, even when Giannis is shooting, there's three guys with their feet in the lane for the Suns on defense to try to cover that shot. So... It's no wonder that Chris and Drew, while they are, you know, a lot of the shots they're taking were tough, like you said, especially Middleton. I mean, he had some just unbelievable. That third quarter, the beginning of that third quarter, it's like I think Middleton and Booker combined for 20, 25 points together in the first few minutes. Just one of the best shot making stretches on both sides of the floor that you'll ever see in the finals. And I know it's not household names, but like, don't take that for granted. It was ridiculous. Yeah, Middleton and Giroux combined for 18 for 29 on two-pointers. Uh, and something that I've been critical of Giroux of this series is as good as his defense has been, like, he can't even – he's not making layups even. Like, his off outside of game three when he had that amazing third quarter, his offense has been, you know, just, just okay for a lot of the series. But he was hitting some nice shots as well in this one and didn't blow as many shots around the basket. And when you hit 50% of your threes, obviously your offensive impact is going to be huge. But, yeah, Giannis being able to defer to those guys and have – you know, the the pride to trust them and say, okay, they're shooting well, I'll let that happen. That was huge for the Bucks in this game. Drew Holiday in his 42 minutes was plus 14, right? So the Bucks were excellent when he was in the game. But the flip side that I wanted to cover, and you mentioned this earlier, is, you know, the, the Suns played Booker 41 and a half minutes. He shot extremely well. He made a huge three at the end of the game that very nearly got the Suns into this. And we'll get to the late game shot making and end of game plays momentarily. But They were plus 12 in his 41 and a half minutes. I know plus minus for individual players is a wonky stat. There's a lot of other players on the court. Sure. But the Suns, that means lost in six and a half minutes without him on the floor by 16 points, uh, which is just not going to get it done. Right. Cam Johnson's minutes were not good in this game. It was one of his worst defensive performances, I think, of the series. I still think Torrey Craig is, is noticeably less impactful since his injury earlier this series. So they just didn't have as much. When Booker wasn't in the game, and I thought those, you know, it was very short stretches. Like you said, early second quarter, late first was one of those. uh, Were those, especially early second when they were up 16, those stretches were just killer for the Suns. They were. And a a couple things on those moments. I think, you know, I saw some criticism criticism of Monty Williams not calling a timeout in that second quarter. Booker doesn't, he, but Monty called a timeout with nine minutes and 30 seconds left. So that's two minutes of game time basically elapsing. And the lead was still eight at that point. The other thing I, I've seen is, you know, leaving Booker in uh, on the bench was the main mistake. Booker was sitting at the scorer's table for a couple of minutes. He checks in in that second quarter at the 614 mark. He had been, at least from the TV, I don't, I wish I had been able to pay attention in the arena to write that down, but 
I believe he was at the scores table at least at the 815 mark. So they got some bad luck with that stuff. Just no stoppage time for him to get into the game. Um, and just in, in general, the defense was the issue there. And it's like, is Booker going to solve that? You know, the offense to defense stuff. If you're making more shots, the other team's not able to get out and transition. There's all these interconnected pieces, right? And I do think that they probably would have a better chance to keep their lead, maybe build their lead with Booker on the floor. That's a fact for any great player. Your best player should be out there. But I think it's it's a little bit overly simple to say that you know, Booker would have solved what was going wrong. They were just not playing smart basketball to start that second quarter. And to me, a lot of that came back to DeAndre Ayton's defense. He he came in about the time when that timeout was called, didn't make much of an impact on the game. They were still able to get good shots, even with his defense out there. So I do think that was a turning point, but I don't think it was just Booker. And the other important part of that to think about too is Giannis was not on the floor for a lot of that run. So you look, you're talking about the plus minus Giannis is minus seven. So in a lot of it is because they were outscored a lot of the other parts of the game besides that early second quarter. And Giannis was actually on the bench for that. So it's, I think in this game, it actually does tell a pretty clear story of what happened and Booker being so positive, Holiday being so positive and Giannis being negative, that all kind of comes back to the second quarter for me. And, you know, the Suns' testament to them for not getting disgruntled or, you know, down when the the shots were going in for Milwaukee and making this a game late. They had the ball 119 to 120 late in the game. But uh, that second quarter, you know, you think what happens if they're just able to keep their double-digit lead, let alone, you know, have it be tied but just or, or build it, but just keep – their lead and, and how different this game would have looked. Yeah, even if the Bucks only, air quotes there, score 37 in the second quarter, which still would have been their best offensive quarter of the game, they had a lost, right? They scored 43 yeah. that frame. They were just ridiculous in that stretch that you keep referring to. And Connaughton, I think, hit every three he took uh, in that short stretch. Portis hit a couple as well. I brought them up earlier. Even P.J. Tucker hit his only shot of the game in that stretch. I remember uh, I remember texting one of my Bucks fan friends and said, PJ Tucker actually made a shot, uh, which in this series is not the most common thing. But let's get to the end. You brought it up. It was 120-119, and the Suns had the ball, and then Drew Holiday made. I mean, there's been so many plays this series, and I'm like, wow, that could be the play of the series. <laughs> but Drew Holiday just makes an unbelievable uh, defensive play and, and lobs it up to Giannis. For a dunk, and then uh, the the Suns have to get into the foul game uh, because they ended up fouling Giannis on an alley oop dunk. And then when they got the ball back, it just it, it never shook the way the Suns needed it to down the stretch. But uh, first, what did you think of Booker's three that near and Chris Paul's layup really that that made this game uh, a possible comeback from the Suns late? And then after that, what did you think of Drew's play uh, on Booker to to turn the game back to the Bucks? Crazy ending. I mean, (laughs) is my initial thought. I'm just looking back over my notes from the game and you can always tell what moment worked uh, was was the the biggest by how many notes you have from each part. (laughs) And the fourth quarter was like an entire page for me. And I mean, you have Giannis missing. So you have Booker making those that three, which was absurd and a a typical shot for him during this playoffs. He has seemingly always had a three when they've needed one. And then Giannis goes 0 of 2 from the line with a minute and nine seconds to go. Um, they also then have to call, the Bucks have to call a timeout. And 
then Middleton has, they have five seconds on the shot clock. Drew Holiday misses the shot. That leads to the possession where you're talking about. And then look, Drew just makes an incredible play. And I think to me, what I thought about after that and, and hearing what Booker had to say about getting stripped on, uh, you know, I think Nick Nurse said on post game on the, on the low post that Booker just took a couple dribbles too many. Booker after the game said he just turned around and suddenly Holiday was there. And like I said, what I was thinking is, it's just a testament to the fact that Booker is in this situation for the first time. Could, you know, a, a legendary player have, have read that, that Holiday would rotate there and, and be in that position? Maybe, you know, would, would a, a different guy in a different moment have given the ball up? It's not to nitpick because Booker was incredible, but it is these marginal plays that make a difference. And then, yeah, Drew able to capitalize with a really gutsy play, a really incredible play. One will always remember this alley-oop and, the full force of a Chris Paul shove, not <laughs> able to uh, to knock Giannis off balance enough and uh, and make a difference. Payback for a similar play when Booker yeah. dunked it on Giannis and it didn't count. And uh, Suns fans wanted weird. a flagrant on Giannis there. Um, and, and I think you could have maybe said the same about Chris in that moment. The ref's definitely letting them play late. But yeah, just mistakes and and capitalizations and and great plays all the way down the stretch you know that's what you want from a finals game and in this case the bucks just made enough plays had a lead that they could you know afford to have some of those miscues and and they were able to come away with it you know in the nfl when coaches say like they do they go for two and they don't get it and they always say something to the effect of with the media after the game well you guys would be praising us if we got it right you know that that's how in the NFL, that anecdote gets used a lot for risky plays. That's how I felt about the Drew to Giannis lob at the end of that game because it was incredible, and it was also the riskiest thing the Bucks could have done in that moment. Up by one, the shot clock is off. Just pull it back. And My concern was that, that yeah, the, it was risky if they had turned it over, if Giannis maybe doesn't make the dunk and just gets fouled, and then he's at the line again. It was also risky because they left like 10 seconds on the clock. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the other big play we haven't even gotten to is off of Giannis's missed free throw from the Chris Paul foul. He got the rebound, and that is what really sunk the Suns is that moment. But, you know, I can't fault Chris Paul for going to try to foul Giannis or prevent the make, right? That's I, I know it was a, a shove in the air, which is was a little bit risky, but that's like the only play he can make at that point. I can't fault him for going up for that. But yeah, that Giannis rebound on the free throw is the real killer. And the Suns, who were down 10 with under four minutes to go, having a chance to take the lead with under 30 seconds to go. I mean, they played the end game nearly perfectly until the last 30 seconds. It was just an unbelievable ending. Great, great game. And, you know, again, I think not getting demoralized was such a big part of this for the Suns. And, it's a game that we're going to remember for the Bucks shot making. We're going to remember yep. it for that that alley oop and and Drew's incredible defense, Drew's incredible game overall. But the Bucks are not in this position unless all three of those players. They all took twenty plus shots. They all shot better than fifty percent from the field. You cited the two point numbers, and they needed every single bit of that because again, they only win this game by four points. So many other things in the box score and, and in the course of the game did go wrong for the Bucks. It didn't feel that way, but if you go back and look, that's really what happened. And, you know, they capitalize it with, again, their two stars making the big play to really punctuate that huge night. Yeah, uh, I agree with all that. Last thing, because game six coming up Tuesday, what can the Suns do better? How can they get this back to the footprint center for a game seven? You love using the name of the arena. We all do. <laughs> it's, it's brand uh, new. I have to it's the news it. of the week. Yeah, you're just trying it on. Um, I hate to do this because I don't 
love legacy talk and nonsense like that. I don't even want to go there, but I just think the reality is if you're analyzing this series that Chris Paul is a major minus for the Suns right now, the box score won't necessarily tell you that 21-11, only one turnover looks looks exactly like a Chris Paul box score that you would hope for in a finals game, but the left hand is bothering him. He was avoiding finishing at the basket. His defense was not great. A big reason to me why Holiday was able to get so comfortable and just not able to set up his teammates like you would hope. So it's hard to just root for and hope for health and and comfort and physical, you know, improvement. But that's honestly what I think a lot of Suns fans are relying on right now. A lot of other things looked better in game five than they did on the road. But the reality is Paul just the guy he was in some of those big moments in closeout games against Denver and, and the Clippers just wasn't there and hasn't been there since the series was back home in games one and two. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. You know, they have to win on the road now, and that's only happened once this series. The Suns, uh, have they won on the road since the second round? Because they've been sweeping. Oh, no, they won in L.A., right? Uh, they closed out in game six in L.A. They also yeah. won game four in L.A., um, but... Hard to do, obviously, and the Bucks in Milwaukee is a, a completely different animal than the Staples Center uh, co-tenants, for sure. <laughs> We're having fun with uh, arena names today. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Brandon will break down Game 5 and more for the Suns over at Lockdown Suns. Go check it out. Now we got to talk about Dame because that was a crazy story that wasn't a story according to Dame, but was a story according to other people. So let's stick around and do that. Brendan, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Let's take a quick little break from the finals talk before we talk about Damian Lillard so I can let you guys know about the great folks over at Built Bar because Built Bar is making the best tasting protein bars ever. They have so many delicious flavors. There's something for everybody. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, including me, they're passionate about their favorite flavors. And if you don't know the Built Bar flavors, you're missing out. They have a mixed pack with nine variety flavors the mint brownie one's delicious my favorite's the double chocolate the cookies and cream is really good you can try all the flavors if you haven't tried them you can get that mixed box you'll get two of each of those flavors not only are built bars delicious they're also healthy too 17 to 18 grams of protein 130 to 180 calories only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs amazing flavors all tasty all healthy and they're the official protein bar of the u.s track and field team isn't that neat go to built.com use the promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off your order that promo code is locked 15 for 15 percent off at builtbar.com now joined by the host of locked on trailblazers mike richmond to talk about damian lillard who sources tell some media members that he might be requesting a trade soon but then he on the record at team usa basketball practice said that he is committed to the Trailblazers for now and is going to be talking with Neil O'Shea and Chauncey Billups. So, Mike, first of all, uh, after this not-so-great offseason for the Blazers uh, off the court so far, were you surprised at all to hear both sides of the story, both from Dame and from um, sources to the media? No, not at all. Uh, if, if, if you've been paying close attention to this team, this is the direction things have been going for a while. Um, I know that the, there was a true hoop report this week from Henry Abbott, who, who wrote uh, basically that day, a trade request is imminent from Damian Lord. But I don't know how different that is from on June 27th, when Chris Haynes, who sort of nationally we perceive to be the Dame, Damian Lord whisperer, who wrote that the backlash from the Portland Trailblazers coaching search and its concerns over whether a championship contender can be built have become major factors that could force Damian Lord to request out. I know request out isn't the T word, Tony, but... 
That seems pretty damn close. That was three weeks ago. I don't think much has changed since then. I agree with you. And I think that a lot of people, you know, read through the Haynes report back then and kind of thought, oh, you know, maybe he'll see how good they are this year or see how much Chauncey and their offseason moves can help them improve or be better. And then they can assess from there. Dame can assess from there what his future is in the league, whereas the Henry Abbott stuff certainly felt more imminent. But then Dame himself on the record, his comments after Team USA practice were really interesting because and he's kind of stressed this multiple times this offseason, which. I think it's been a good way for him to handle it as a player is he keeps saying it's not from my mouth. You know what I mean? Like you'll hear it from me if it's true. And I don't, I don't know where these people are getting this stuff, but he also said that said, I've basically made no decisions about my future. So his comments were interesting to me in that he kind of towed the line of, you know, I didn't say that stuff. I haven't made a decision, but also he said, I haven't made a decision basically on the record. So it, it was very interesting to hear from him that, you know, I think he wants to actually speak with the team and and the brass of the of Portland, but also he is thinking about this stuff. Well, it's it's curious. I I, I liken this on my podcast to a Rorschach test. Uh, it's the ink blots. You might see, you see what you see in the ink blots. Uh, <laughs> I think all of us are seeing a little bit something different. Damon Lewis said it's not true, and secondly, I haven't made up uh, any firm decision on what my future will be. Well, Mr. Lillard, you're under contract with the Portland Trailblazers through 2024. If you, quote, haven't made up a firm decision, the only way that you could make your decision or commitment to the team less firm is asking out. Like, uh, if you're under contract for multiple multiple years and you're discussing, like, in the present tense, I haven't made up what my future, decide what my future will be, what is that then other than someone saying, you better get it right or I'm gone? I, I, like, I don't have a way to interpret that any other way. He, he's not saying, trade me, I want to go. He's not, he's not doing that. He's not tweeting out, I don't want to be here like Eric Bledsoe. But he is not saying, I want to be here. I, this is where I want to be. Like he said, he has said, I want to be in a Portland Trailblazers uniform. That's where my heart is, if or but or under these conditions. So what do the Blazers do now? You know, obviously trading Dame is the absolute last thing they would like to do. Franchise legend got them to the conference finals just a few years ago, has been nothing but loyal to them for so long. How can the Blazers either cater to doing the things he would like them to do, or how do they set themselves up to succeed if he does demand a trade in the next couple of weeks? Right. So I, I think the first thing you do is try your damnedest to get a second star next to him. Uh, and whether that's a large Australian man who is currently employed by the Philadelphia 76ers or someone <laughs> else in the NBA, you just go try to find it. Right? You're like you tamper. You're a, you're a locked on host. You don't have to use uh, an interesting one. Oh, hey, Neil Olshay, try, try to trade for Ben Simmons. He seems like the most <laughs> available star. That would be my advice. Uh, most available star, Ben Simmons or Dame. Don't, don't be the one caught on the wrong side. Because... Um, <laughs> If you wait around for the disgruntled star, there's a chance that they might show up in your own office. Uh, so I think you you try to say, hey, give us a month. Give it like be cool. And I think Dame is willing to be at least that patient. That's my read on it. I would be surprised um, if we hear about, you know, this week that Dame has asked out. But I wouldn't be surprised if we hear about in September that uh, Dame has asked out. Like, I think I think give them wait till free agency and then the draft. And, and those things begin in earnest at the end of July and the first week of August and see, see how good of a team you can put together. Uh, I don't think you can run back the same crew. And if you can put, if you can add a second star or a near star, um, sorry for the Harrison Barnes, Marvin Bagley trade package fans, but like you need a real upgrade. And then you can say to Dame, Hey, we're better. Like, look at this roster. We're better. And then maybe he gives you a little patience. If you can't get there, then you start looking into what kind of, 
you know, picks and young players, Shea Jill Alexander trade package you can try to uh, get from somewhere. Well, Mike's going to cover all this on the Locked On Blazers podcast. Already has one up called Is Damian Lillard Going to Request a Trade? Which is straight to the point. You can go check that out on Locked On Blazers. But the Wizards over the weekend hired a new head coach, Wes Until Jr. We're going to have the Locked On Wizards hosts in to come talk about that. Mike, thank you for the time. Hey, thanks for having me, Tony. Before we talk Wizards and new head coach Wes Unsell Jr., let's talk about the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. You can do that over at betonline.ag. Baseball season in full swing. You can track all the action there at BetOnline. Plus, NBA Finals, UFC, MMA, anything you could imagine. They've got it over at betonline.ag. Finals, game six, bucks. Favored by five points over at betonline.ag. Over under 221 and a half if you're into that sort of thing. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game as teams prep for their run for a title in the NBA. Head over to that website, betonline.ag. Sign up today. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On when you sign up. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline. Sign up. Use that promo code Locked On. Get your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Now joined by Lockdown Wizards host Ed Oliver to break down the Wizards hiring of Wes Unsell Jr. to be the next head coach of the franchise. Four-year deal uh, per various outlets. Wizards announced it on their website. Ed, what was your initial reaction to the Wes Unsell Jr. hiring? Uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, we needed a defensive-minded head coach. Last year, Bradley Bill was quoted to say that we couldn't guard a parked car. So we needed somebody that's going to bring a defensive mindset to this team. Uh, I've heard a lot about Wes Unsell Jr. being a defensive coordinator for the Denver Nuggets uh, and that he was huge for their comeback when they were down 3-1 against the Clippers in the bubble. So um, I'm excited to see this team play defense. The Wizards haven't played defense in, the, in the, probably the last three or four years. So it, it will be a huge change to see them actually go out there and actually try to play defense. Yeah, one of my things I wanted to ask you for this was, what can he do better than Scott Brooks did for the Wizards? So it sounds like defense is the main thing there. Is there anything else you feel like he can bring that Scott Brooks was unable to bring to this Wizards team? Uh, I, would, I would say player development. Uh, we've had some guys, uh, Denny Avdia, we picked him last year. He was used as a spot-up shooter. That's not really what he's good at. He's not much of a, a three-point shooter. He's really good when he has the basketball in his hands. He's a playmaking guard. Or he's a play. He's really a point-forward Um Scott Brooks liked to put him in the corner with Russell Westbrook. And he's, he's kind of a weird fit with Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook is a guy that gets rebounds. He always has the ball in his hand. So Russell, and same thing with Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill is a scorer. So there's two guys that have the ball in their hands. And, and Scott really used Denny as a spot-up shooter. And I want to see uh, Rui Hachimura develop uh, a lot as well because you, we saw what he got with Wes was – was was mentioned a lot with developing Nicole Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. So I'm interested to see how he can get uh, guys like Denny and Rui more incorporated in the offensive scheme. The Wizards are in an interesting spot where, you know, they made the, the, the playoffs this past season. Russ and Brad are in their primes or, you know, Russ is near his. He's just coming out of it. But they also have guys like Gafford and Rui and Denny, who you just brought up, who are on the come up and developing. As a team that's towing that line between trying to be good right now and also developing young players, how do you think Wes Unseld can help, you know, kind of tow both of those lines and blend those two goals together? It's definitely going to be a tall task because we're we're somewhat of a win now mode because we have to impress Bradley Bill if he if if we want him to stay, 
because uh, if he looks around and we bring in the same roster that we have last year, then he might want to join a contender. Um, so it, it is going to be a tall task for that to get Denny more playing time. He might have to come off the bench and, and play with a unit where he can get more touches. Uh, Rui, he's just got to get Rui to be more aggressive. And then also Daniel Gafford. I think Daniel Gafford is a guy that can definitely get a lot better under Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, Daniel Gafford is a defensive-minded center. He averaged uh, almost two blocks a game last year. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see Daniel Gafford under Wes Unsell Jr. I think he, he's, he's a great lob threat. Played really well with Russell Westbrook, too. So I, I'm looking for him to get more playing time under, under Wes Unsell Jr. I think he's a guy that can potentially average a double-double like a Rudy Gobert or Clint Capella type of center. I could definitely see Gafford um, averaging a double-double next year. The low-hanging fruit to me to have Wes Unsell Jr. do a better job than Scott Brooks is simply to start Daniel Gafford instead of Alex Lenz. Right. <laughs> that would be step one in improving the Wizards. I think it's awesome that they hired the son of a franchise legend to be the next head coach of the franchise. It's a super cool move from the Wizards, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do next year. Last question, what do you feel like the expectation should be for the Wizards next year now that they've made this coaching change? Um, last year we made the eighth seed in the play-in. I think we can do better than the play-in game. I think we, I think the ceiling is about around five or four. You still see what you see what the Bucks did last night. So they're going to be back, uh, full throttle next year with basically Giannis and Drew Holiday again and Chris Middleton. So they, they're going to be number one. Uh, I was, I would, I would guess the Sixers still around number round one through three. And of course, Kevin Durant's coming back, James Harden. So those three spots are taken. Um, the fourth, fifth and sixth team are kind of the Hawks. I guess you could say the Hawks. So after those four first four teams right there, the back end of the East is kind of up for grabs. The Celtics are kind of, you know, trying to figure out themselves with, with MAU Doka, the new coach. So I, I would say really fifth is this fifth or fourth is the ceiling. We're still a middle of the pack Eastern Conference team. But if Russell Westbrook is healthy, comes back and plays like he did at the end of the year where we went 17 and six and Bradley Bill can put up 30 points a game again, which is more likely um, and Gafford and Rui play well, and then he gets better, and we add some pieces of free agency. And if we do keep Davies Bertans, hopefully he can hit threes and not play like he did in the playoffs. Uh, I would say around that four or five range, where four at fourth seed at best. Everything would have to go perfectly but for us to get the fourth seed, but I would say fourth seed at best. Well, Ed and the Lockdown Wizards crew will be breaking this down over on the Lockdown Wizards podcast, so go check that out. Ed, thank you for the time, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on.